Alex Philadelphia. It takes a lot to make him happy, and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got a hit. Yes! Zali Stable, 132.67, has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up. Beauty! On the ice with a Gimlet. A Gimlet Welcome back to Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast as we continue our athlete interviews in the lead up to Pyeongchang 2018 and a very excitable one for you today. We have Alex Chumpy, Paulin, Australian snowboard cross legend, I'm going to say it, two-time Olympian, multiple world champion, multiple world championship medals, X-game medalist. This guy has done it all. He can even sing a mean song or two and uh, definitely has a huge career ahead of him, I think, in that industry, which we talk about in this chat and uh, easily one of Australia's most recognisable winter athletes definitely one of our highest medal hopes heading into Pyeongchang next year and generally an all around good guy so this is a fun chat with uh, Chumpy I uh, have to get used to calling him that and we also uh, I guess had to point out how on earth he got that nickname in particular to help out our co-host of course Colin Hilding over there in Canada so sit back and enjoy our chat with Australian snowboard cross legend Alex Chumpy Pullen. It is a massive pleasure to be able to welcome our next guest here to Off the Podium as we continue our athlete profiles in the lead-up to Pyeongchang 2018. He's one of Australia's most well-known winter athletes, a two-time Olympian, multiple world champion, and let's be honest, has one of the greatest names in the history of sport. I do, of course, speak of Mr. Alex Chumpy, an Olympic snowboarder, and he's with us on the line here today. Uh, Alex Chumpy, uh, welcome, welcome to Off the Podium. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having us. Now, now I've got to start off with it. What, what do I call you? Alex Chumpy? What do you prefer? Well, Chumpy seems to be the more popular. Okay. <laughs> Ever okay. since I was little, so... I'd probably uh, probably stick with that one. Now, I guess. now I've also got to I've got to clarify this. I feel because we've got a co-host on this show. He's Canadian, and we we recently did sort of a a preview episode looking ahead to the games last year, and we we're talking about some of our you know best medal prospects. We we talked about you, and he seemed fascinated the entire time about this name, Chumpy. He's like, you know, what is that? What 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 are you what are you trying to say to me right now? Is this Australian for something? I don't understand. So, <laughs> can can you explain to to Colin and perhaps some of our listeners who have never, I guess, heard the story behind your your nickname where, where does chumpy come from yeah it's not like i don't really have a particular story which is a bit of a bummer as you can imagine because i do get asked that question quite often <laughs> um but I, I think it's pretty aussie and that's i guess you know one of the things that um i grew up with uh in high country victoria up in the mountains and everyone i went to school with all my mates even older people um pretty much everyone had a nickname or a handle and uh but 
some reason they never escaped mine, and it, it's um, it stuck with me for a long time. I, I got into snowboarding pretty young, and was doing kind of a couple of different things. So it, it probably came from the community I was hanging out with then, and people that are sort of, um, I guess, maybe a bit creative. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it stuck. It was it was definitely what most people called me throughout school, teachers, everything, and then. Um, and here we are still today. Most people get confused when someone calls me Alex, so I just tend to stick with it. <laughs> I just I just kind of imagined it was, uh, I don't know if you remember, they had those ads. Was that dog food chum? And these had that line when they say, so chumpy, you can carve it. And I kind of thought like chumpy, snowboarding, carving, like I kind of just thought it must have come from that. But uh, <laughs> you could use that story. That yeah. kind of makes those ads sound a bit exciting perhaps. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, we can make that work. Go for it. Go for it. You can use that. Uh, but you, you've come off uh, the back of a, another fairly successful uh, season, uh, so, some medals again, sort of uh, from a lot of the events. I mean, how are, you, how are you feeling right now, I guess, now less than a year out from your third Olympics? Uh, you know, you, are you feeling good? Are you feeling strong? I mean, kind of what's the mindset happening right now? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm feeling really good. Um, for me, I don't really and kind of never have based my seasons or my career around the Olympic cycle too much. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a huge event on the calendar and, and definitely looking forward to that coming up. But um, I have a World Cup tour uh, every year, which is obviously stacked with events where I compete against all the same guys on that tour as I would at the Olympics. So I get that opportunity to race, um, you know, the guys that I'm really sizing myself up against, uh, you know, all, quite often throughout that Northern Hemisphere and even Southern Hemisphere season sometimes. Um, really, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that I'm feeling better or, or um, I guess in a performance sense because, you know, I've had really good results in the past too. So it's always a hard thing to gauge. But what I am feeling is, um, you know, I'm really enjoying my sport at the moment, um, probably more than I ever have. And my body feels better than ever, which is probably a surprise to me, um, you know, at a, at a later stage in my career. Um, you know, you'd obviously think that in action sports, high impact, that sort of thing that, you know, I tend to be some wear and tear by now, but I think I've really learned to, uh, you know, adapt my training and to suit my body as best possible so they get the best performance out of it at the end of the day. And on that side of things, I'm feeling really good. And then, um, something that I've really put a lot of time into over the past sort of three or so years is, is my snowboard development and um and you know custom custom made snowboards which is happening a lot in our sport now but I, I work with a really good company overseas in austria brand called apex and um yeah work closely with those guys it's everything custom designed and um you know it takes a lot of time to get that dialed in but uh yeah the boards that i've been on for the last sort of six months has, has felt pretty amazing so yeah on all those sort of things um looking ahead with the year that i have ahead of me um, it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm definitely feeling good for it. Because I can imagine, I mean, the snow, sport of snowboard cross is obviously, I mean, it's a fantastic sport to watch from a spectator's perspective. Obviously, uh, you know, one of my favourite events to watch in uh, the Olympics every year, and also not just the Olympics, obviously, your, your seasons that you're talking about. But I, I can imagine, given the, the amount of training, sort of the board prep you're talking about and everything that goes into it, to, it, it just does come down to the day, though, doesn't it? Because, I mean, it's, it's such a, a sport where... You can be feeling your absolute best, but come a quarter, semi, or a final, you just can land wrong. You can get knocked out of the way, and that's that's your day done. It's it's kind of just one of those sports where at the, at the end of the day, luck comes into a huge factor of it. Yeah, exactly. And look, 
I don't. It's it's sometimes hard to swallow when people do sort of say, "Oh, wow, there's a lot of luck in your sport," because I do pour, you know, and so do so many other athletes pour a lot of time and and strategy and um, you know all of our year into you know trying to put forward their best performances every day. But sometimes things can sort of prevent that um, for whatever reason. And um, but that's that's what I love about racing too. It's not a, a set routine that I'm going out to perform the same every time. Um, you know, it's racing, but it, it's different every single run. It's it's not a matter of just going out and performing my run safely in my own lane. Um, but that's what makes it so exciting. That's what I love, and that's probably why I have. Um, you know, I, I enjoy absolutely every year that I'm competing with those best guys on the World World Cup tour because each race brings about a whole bunch of different challenges and, um, you know, sometimes you get the strategies dead on and you have a really good day and other times you slightly miss it. Um, it's probably the biggest challenge for us as Australian uh, athletes is that that World Cup tour doesn't have so much of a focus from the general public uh, between each Winter Olympics, um, given that, you know, our tour stops in the backyard of most northern hemisphere countries um, at least once or twice uh, during their winter. You know, it's it's quite common that everyone over there really knows and follows that tour and and sees a lot of different races and you know follows it like any other sport um, that you know say Aussies would follow down here where where it comes through town a bit more commonly. Um, the challenge for us is that yeah, it does. It, it gains a lot of focus coming into the Winter Olympics, which is awesome. But there's also a lot for people who are watching and tune in to catch up on. And and um, it's probably the beauty of our sport, I guess, is that it's not a judging sport or judge sport at all. It's purely racing. And that's probably why it is um, so popular in Australia is because people can sort of tune in, see one run, and pretty much understand everything they need to see to sit back and enjoy the sport. Uh, but understanding the results as they unfold sometimes can be a little bit tricky. And Pyeongchang does have... Um, quite a bit going on as far as variables uh, that will probably provide some pretty good challenges um, to decide what strategies I'll execute there. But as you say, you know, you can wake up on the day, conditions play into your favour, the course is running a certain speed, which, you know, um, often, you know, you, you, you sort of is either with you or against you. But if it's in your favour, you're pretty much rubbing your hands together and, and uh, getting set to go out and make the absolute most of it. You mentioned about the, the attention, and obviously it's, it's something that we've talked a lot about through all uh, these interviews in terms of Australia when it comes to, as you said, sort of focus kind of comes down about a month before the Winter Games that a lot of Australians realise, uh, you know, we have athletes competing uh, in Winter Olympics. But I remember in Sochi, the, the focus was so heavy on you. They, they Channel 10 had the coverage, and obviously there was just so much coverage about sort of your prospects going into it as a, as a reigning two-time champion and just, I guess, there was all this, I felt, pressure on you, I guess, from our perspective. Did, did you feel there was that pressure and how did you kind of go into Sochi with all that attention on you from Australia? Yeah, look, I guess I did. Uh, we're away a lot of the year and a lot of the lead-up, um, you know, to the games. So, you know, I'm, I wasn't here. Often we're away for all the build-up and the coverage that gets sort of played um, leading into the Winter Olympics as it gets closer, which, you know, um, it's probably not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, we're on the other side of the world and not seeing um, more and more content and footage of interviews of ourselves that we'd done previously pop up on the screen uh, a bit more often. Um, but certainly, you know, like this, it is probably one of the tricks um, 
to master when coming into an Olympics, um, being an Australian winter Olympian, when, when things will sort of take a drastic change and, and suddenly there's a whole bunch of attention there. But, um, you know, I, for me, it's it's always been about the racing and always about the performance. And, you know, that's what I really focus on. You know, that's, that's what I'm in love with. Um, and the Olympics, again, is, is another stage. I'd say it's, it's a great opportunity to have a lot of friends and family being able to tune in and watch on, you know, probably a free-to-air channel, which never happens for us with our stock standard um, World Cup tour, which runs every year. Um, I think that's, that's a cool opportunity. It's good for our sport. Um, and if anything, I just try to make the most of that and, and hopefully, you know, if anything, maybe make some kids up in the mountains or, or wherever in Australia keen to come give it a try. You mentioned strategy aspect before, kind of uh, in in your sport. Is this when it comes down to it, uh, the preparation involved? Obviously, there's uh, all your, your gym and physical training you've got to do. But then, how much of a percentage do you then focus to, to strategy? Do you have coaches that kind of come down, sit down with you, and work out sort of different strategic ways? And and how do you come up with these different strategies based on the events? Yeah, I think that's where border cross um, has an interesting element. Because when you're young and gung ho, and you know, I remember when I hit the tour, I was just kind of shooting from the hip. It's pretty unknown, and and um, a lot of things that you need to pick up as a as a rookie rider. Um, and the only way to find out is trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> so further down the track, um, experience starts to come in very handy, and um, and that's honestly the way that I still use today. I, I do work with. Um, with some coaches who I discuss things with, but um, it's it's very tricky to find someone who's willing to pull the trigger on a, a strategy, given that if it goes wrong, um, you know, I guess the sort of discussion can fall back on them a bit. Um, so it's it's pretty tricky to find someone who's willing to put themselves out there and and uh, maybe suggest something a bit obscure because sometimes the, the strategies um, which we may see in Pyeongchang when there's a heavy headwind um, or gusty winds, you know, you actually pull out behind the pack and we're riding in heats of six and sometimes you'll see riders stay in the gate, choose to sit behind for most of the run and use the draft like a cyclist would in a peloton, um, you know, to pull past and and in the finishing straight. It it can work beautifully well. And I'll tell you what, there's no better feeling than coming from, you know, and executed behind position and then just fanging right through everyone. But it can also go terribly wrong, and it looks pretty bad if you pull out intentionally last <laughs> and don't get through the heat or, or don't have a good result. So, you know, you can go from zero to hero pretty quickly, but, um, again, a bold strategy. And it really does come back to the rider. Um, for me, that's, that's when I feel most confident, and I, I call on sort of experience and try to make that decision, you know, um, very last minute because things can change in you know up in the mountains pretty quickly and maybe a strategy that would have been good half an hour ago or an hour ago won't uh, any longer be a good move to to be putting into play so um yeah i find that you know that's why you commonly see riders that have been on tour for uh, a bit longer than than others um you know on the consistent side of things stay right up at the pointy end of the field at most events so you know, that, that's that's a good thing for me leading into this next Olympics to have, you know, um, a good amount of experience. I've been on tour for nine or ten years now, so um, and that's been on the, the top level. 
got a lot of uh, good rivals on that tour. We've had plenty of good battles. You know, you start to learn a lot about the other riders, their weaknesses and strengths. Um, learn a lot about conditions. You adapt your, your equipment, and and as it all comes together, um, yeah, the best way to be with it all is, is keep it very simple. You know, make a plan that you're confident in, and and execute that. And um, you know that that's really uh, all you can do. Sometimes, like I said, it works like a dream. Other times might slightly miss it and uh, it can cost you a lot but um you know that's racing and that's that's the beauty of it i guess is is there much sledging when you're going down the course i mean not necessarily off the course on the way up to the run but like you know halfway down a course you're bumping and grinding you know can you drop a few little sledges there at the time chumpy and be like you know you just get get on their nerves a little bit yeah, I'd say that happens a bit if there's a few US riders in the, in the heat. Um, tends to be a bit more noise around. But, um, yeah, look, you know, sometimes it's it's most of the time just to make people aware of where you are or if you're you know, on the inside and maybe in a blind spot, you can sometimes sort of say on your inside or something like this. But um, there's also a beauty in, you know, kind of utilising or, or using that surprise element to make a pass um most of the time you're trying to be dead quiet and sneak up on people as you're passing so they don't know to shut that line down but again there's certain situations where two riders can cause an unnecessary crash um and a bit of awareness can maybe help in that situation um but yeah that's that's where it gets back to experience you know knowing who you should maybe lend a mention to and who you should maybe keep keep your mouth zipped and and just work on getting through them depending on who it is so you know um there's definitely i I think you know as far as the sport goes it's it's pretty clean and it'd be similar to moto gp um i kind of refer back to that a bit you've got guys that are riding incredibly close together taking really tight race lines on extremely fast bikes and there's obviously quite a lot of danger with that when they crash they're crashing with their bodies there's no roll cage and that's much the same as us at high speed um and even in the sense of trying to keep you know your speed throughout the track and and uh and hold speed throughout the turns the last thing you want to do is actually be crashing into everyone um you know it's probably something that gets a bit uh, misunderstood with our sport is you know that's a bit of a tactic fly out the inside and take people out but you know, it can happen, um, but one one thing, you won't last very long on tour because people <laughs> will, will be pretty fed up with you and there's tend to be a bit of a gentleman's agreement against that sort of thing. Um, and, and plus, you know, as you'll see with bikes, it's better to try and just keep it clean, ride ride through the turn and take the battles down the straight where, where everyone can stay nice and clean and, and hold their speed and not cost you know, maybe two riders that are battling for position, another two spots while the guys behind are able to pick them off. So, Mm. again, it depends who you're in a heat with. There's some riders, some countries that have different (laughs) styles that tend to be a bit dirty, if I'm allowed to say that. Of course you can. I want to know where these countries are, Chumpy, now. I kind of feel like you need to say them. It's it's a fasc- the thing that I find really fascinating too is that for a sport yeah where there's so much argy bargy and you know accidents happen and things like that that th- there doesn't ever seem to be maybe I'm just not watching the right races like guys getting up and just giving each other like what the hell was that man and just like shoving each other and getting into a, a bit of a fight afterwards is oh, that kind that of what happens. you it does happen oh, we we need to see more of this oh, there yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah even this past season quite often like. In- you know, hopefully I, I know nothing about it because <laughs> if I'm in the heat, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But um, yeah, it's not very often, but 
in the heat of the moment, you might see someone come through the line, obviously not going through that heat and come in and absolutely spray another rider and have a few words in the finish area. And I think it's fair enough. Some of the time, it's always hard to know what actually happened. And most of the time, everyone goes away, watches the footage, has a far clearer idea of how certain things went down, realizes it wasn't intentional. And most of the time, it isn't intentional. Um, I'd say 95% of the time, it's not intentional. And that's, that's the thing to understand. In our sport, you can actually get disqualified for intentional contact and, and pushing off another rider to, to develop speed. Um, but at the same time, there's six guys or six girls racing down the track all at once, and there's got to be contact, and it's, it's kind of expected that arms are going to hit backs and that sort of thing. And most of the time, it'll just be protecting your own personal area as you're riding. And, and um, yeah, as long as it's all in... You know, good intentions. It's all all good. Have Have you ever lost it? Have you ever kind of done that, broken the line, and gone after someone? <laughs> no, I I see it happen sometimes. I, the thing is, it's not going to change anything. And um, I guess that's probably one of the most valuable lessons that racing's taught me is what's done is done. The heat's over. Um, you know, I'm not really wanting to put in a protest or anything and and try and change the outcome. I always try to develop myself as a racer and a competitor by looking at what just unfolded and how I could best prevent that from happening if I was to have that scenario again. And um, actually, you know, one of the guys I used to race with way back in the day, Damon Haler, um, he kind of taught me that when I was younger. He was like, look, you know, that heat just went wrong, but figure out what you would do, how you would prevent it, and then let it go and move on. There's no point, you know, sitting here... Um, crying over spilled milk when the milk's already spilt, you know, <laughs> and it's just about figuring out how how best to fix that. So, yeah, look, at times it can be really frustrating, um, but the best way to to use that towards something good, I find, is is um, yeah, adjusting what I would have done and, and putting that into the bag of tricks for next time. You're mentioning about the conditions in, in Pyeongchang uh, ahead of the Games next year. Uh, you mentioned sort of about the crosswinds. Is this something that is, is much different, I guess, to some of the other the places that you have competed? Is this a sort of a more a windier venue, I guess, or kind of what are some of the other challenges maybe at Pyeongchang that you don't face at other venues you've competed at? Yeah, look, it's got to be predominantly man-made snow, um, pretty much all of it. It's really cold and dry there, so that shouldn't be a problem. Um, and that's not bad for our courses because, you know, they can build pretty well with that. It can be a little bit more chopped and bumpy, but to be honest, my strengths, um, I can really sort of use my strengths of riding and skill in firmer, faster conditions, which is what that man-made snow should produce. Um, so that's, that's probably um, something that, will be a, a, a almost a definite. Um, the other thing that is definitely on my mind for that event is that it is a windy location. And um, probably one of the things, one of my pet hates is racing in wind because, <laughs> and I'd say most other races as well, it just throws variables into the mix into a sport that's already got a ton of variables without the extras. <laughs> um and I know this because we, we went there two years ago or a year and a half ago now for the, the test event for the Olympics and we were there in Pyeongchang and um, there's two massive big wind generators or wind turbines right on the hill next to our track, huge ones, like the big white ones spinning there. 
And um, our, one of our wax techs at the time, who actually worked for wind turbines over summer in the US, actually said, well, you don't put them there if it's not windy every day because it's otherwise a silly idea. Um, and so that would kind of suggest that there's got to be pretty commonly wind in that valley. Um, I'd say hearing what other athletes said who went there um, this previous northern winter for their test events, there were some people that sort of said, yep, we definitely had some issues. I think the aerials might have had some issues with the winds. Um, some other venues like Half Pipe might have been just low enough to be out of reach. For us, because we come down a valley, it's probably going to affect us a little bit more because it's quite gusty um, and it sort of channels up that valley. Uh, but I guess, you know, the way I'm looking at it is, is that that's what it is. Um, we do get that. Some other courses, you know, you'll get windy days, but um, not commonly is there a place where we go where you'd actually expect to see wind. It'd just be a oh, bugger. It's got to be windy today. We're going to have to deal with that. But most of the time, that's just, you know, a front coming through or, or whatever might be happening, whereas it seems in Pyeongchang there's pretty pretty much a daily thing that's pushing a bit of wind up that valley. And, um, yeah, that'll probably be something that plays heavily into the strategies and, and things that will unfold and, um, yeah, make it interesting. Is there anything that you can do, I guess, in your training in the lead-up to the games to to kind of try and prepare yourself for that? I mean, can you just, I don't know, strap yourself on, on a snowboard and put a giant, you know, fan in front of yourself or something along those lines? Yeah, look, there's probably, I mean, yes and no. There's definitely different um, racing strategies, which I'd probably train a bit more often um, in terms of, you know, um, the border crossing in Australia has grown a lot um, over the past three, four, five years now. And uh, there's quite a good team that we have um, coming together and, and building towards Pyeongchang. And um, and that that's a strength because we can kind of have a group of people to train with, which is all our own country. I used to have to travel a lot and um, kind of merge in with other teams like Canada or um, you know, Austrians teams to be able to get riding in traffic. Um, whereas now, you know, we've, we've got a lot of those riders ourselves, and that's that's uh, really awesome. And probably how I'll be using that is pulling out behind quite often and just practice drafting and, and practicing, which is something we do a lot of anyway. But um, maybe a little bit more emphasis and a few things that I'm looking to practice this year down at Hotham when we're training. And and um, yeah, I mean, but on an, in another sense, you know. The tricky part about gusty winds is sometimes um, you still want to be in front, and obviously it's a big dice to roll uh, when the whole world's watching in is to pull out, you know, in second or third or even behind the whole pack. Um, if it goes wrong, you know, you've got a lot to answer for. So, um, yeah, look, you know, I, I'm really just trying to stay open-minded about it. Um, the reality is it is a windy place. The reality is that the track... Um, we'll most likely have a headwind involved at some point of the day, whether it's every run or, or just a few. And so I'm really trying to just, um, yeah, work on certain things with my riding and even just mentally being ready for that, you know, so that when I rock up and 
plan on, on doing what I do, that's in the equation. Do you have much of a mental preparation going on that? I mean, obviously, you know, you can train in the gym, you can work out these strategies, but I guess every athlete would have their own individual way to really getting in that headspace. I know you're a bit of a musician, Champion. We'll talk about that shortly, but is there, say, music you listen to? Do you do yoga? I mean, kind of what's your mindset, your mental preparation going into an event? Yeah, um, I'd say it varies a little bit depending on how I feel the track is sort of playing into my hands or or maybe not in some situations. Um, music's a huge thing for me. Uh, I grew up listening to what my parents were listening to a lot of the time and, you know, a bunch of Jimi Hendrix and Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, um, Rolling Stones, bands that I just have grown up with and love so much, especially Jimmy. And there's a couple of songs that, of his which I'll play, you know, in the morning before competing most of the time. I, I don't really have set rituals as such. Like I said, I sort of, I like being a bit flexible with that, but um, Jimmy's definitely puts me in the mood to go race sport <laughs> across. And, uh, but on top of that, yeah, you know, it'll depend. Sometimes a course can be very intimidating, um, actually without the racing and the expectations of, the result, I can be quite nervous just to ride the track at full speed um, because it's it's literally pretty gnarly. Um, and so then add in the event and everything else. So then that'll take a, a different frame of mind, which often sort of I kick into gear, um, probably a little bit more um, warrior mode, I guess. You know, I've, um, when you just got it in your head that you go out and have to do absolutely anything to get to the bottom in first and, and kind of make it this, um, I don't know, it's just fight fight for your, fight for everything, fight for every inch and centimetre and, and as well as that, you know, fight with absolutely 100% of um, skill so that, you know, the day pans out as good as it can because sometimes a, a bit of holding back can be the you know your own worst nightmare and, and cause an accident pretty easy just because you're slightly off the pace. So I kind of counteract that by going, okay, this course is a little bit gnarly and scary, and I'm going to absolutely tear it apart, like rip into it as hard as I can. Hmm. Um, other times, you know, I'll have a course where it's it's you know it's more about trying to get everything really smooth and finesse. And if I do that, you know, I'm pretty confident that 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 sort of style of writing will work out really well for me to get a good result on the day. And, and um, you know, if I'm feeling it and I'm, I'm feeling it's good and all playing into my hands, you know, I'll often have quite a lot of fun with it, um, you know, just sort of enjoy it. I, I guess it's probably a lot similar to surfers, you know, and, and their tour and, um, you know, I know quite, quite a few, and but even just watching that tour, there's days when it's really fun, bells where you go out and you've just got this big sweeping right-hander where you can just unleash all the you know, best turns you've ever had. Um, and then there's other days when you're at 10 to 15-foot pipeline, it's literally terrifying, and you've got everyone tuned in. You know, there's, there's definitely um, that aspect in our sport as well. And um, I definitely enjoy the ones that are more intimidating and more challenging technically. Um, not only are they normally the events that I do really well at, but um, it's just honestly the full thrill and rush of our sport. You know, it's when your heart's beating and you're kind of nervous before anything's even started because you know how fast you've got to be going on this track, how um, how far you've got to be flying off some of the jumps and then throwing into the mix, you've got to have five guys all around you at the same time. Mm. Um, that's 
that's the best part of of the sport I compete in. So, yeah, I certainly prefer the ones where it's where it's a bit gnarly. That's for sure. The confidence levels of the entire Australian winter team must be so high right now. I mean, in speaking to a, a lot of the other athletes, kind of in the lead up to the games, you know, with such the fantastic results that everybody's been having. I mean. You've, this is obviously going into your third Olympics. Has the confidence levels of an Australian team ever been this high based on the results going into a Games? Um, yes and no. I, I think it's hard to probably read everyone's situation given that we're not always training together and all disciplines pretty much are on their own program. Uh, I think the Moguls guys are still overseas training at the moment. They were back, obviously, just at the... <laughs> end of the season but um and aerials too i think are heading away soon to be over in the states um you know a lot of us are on kind of different programs but one thing i do think is that um you know i think everyone's in a really good place there's probably a generation of athletes that i've sort of come through the mix with um even in different uh different sports um you know brick cox would be one of those who i was at my first Olympics with, and, and that was her first Olympics when she was really young. And, um, you know, it's, it's cool to see that she's had such a good year and, and you know, really building up to uh, hopefully another really good year on, on the back of that one. And, um, yeah, I guess that that's something that I can relate to because I've seen, you know, quite a lot of others as well as her and myself, you know, move through the sport and, and, uh, and build up quite a strong sort of career I guess and but everyone's got their own journey and and each year brings about different things and different situations and um I'd say right now you know probably the the one thing I felt when we all came together for our awards night uh just last month um was just the vibes were good and happy and positive and um you know I think everyone's going to want to go out and really push the envelope for this next year and as the focus swings around towards the Olympics back here at home and um, more so, I think, just put on a really good show that, that when people do tune in and see how exciting, um, well, you know, the Winter Olympics can be and, and hopefully it is. And um, I think everyone's in a very good place to go and do that. Um, but, you know, we've also had really strong athletes in the past as well. So it's hard to say that we're we're more confident than ever. Um, but I would say that it's it's definitely... Um, you know, positive looking forward and, and everyone's feeling good and happy and, and ready to get stuck into it. Your, your first Olympics course, 2010, uh, you finished 17th in Vancouver, then eliminated in the uh, quarterfinals in, in Sochi. But I guess kind of the highlight perhaps out of uh, both those games, uh, Chumpy, you were the flag bearer, of course, for Australia heading into uh, the opening ceremony there. I mean, that that's something that, uh, you know, very few athletes obviously get that honour with. I mean, how does that rank up there in terms of, uh, I guess, competition results and everything that you've achieved uh, throughout your athletic career? Yeah, uh, it was massive. I mean, a huge honour and, um, you know, to be given that opportunity and be amongst a lot of other Australian athletes that, you know, have had that same opportunity that I've really looked up to. And, um, yeah, massive. Very different, though, in terms of, um, I guess, what I sort of think of with results and success on that front. I mean, obviously, with with my events, you know, a full day of, adrenaline-packed racing sort of unfold and you cross the line. It's all very raw and happening. Um, being the flag bearer for the Australian team at, at Sochi was, I don't know, it was, it was huge, but it was it was totally different, I guess, and something very special to feel. And, um, 
yeah, you know, I think um, something that I'll remember forever. Is, is is our tip then for flag bearer Britt Cox next year, given the season that she's had? I mean, is kind of that the, the whisper amongst uh, the, the entire Australian winter team? Hard to say. I haven't really um, thought about it too much. It hasn't really been any talk about it so far, but... I mean, yeah, definitely. She'd probably be a pretty good pick. Scotty James has had a really good year as well. Um, also, Danny Scott and the Aerials has also had a really good year. So, you know, and I think there's still quite a long way to go, um, or at least on our front with the border cost, there's a lot of racing, and I'm sure most of those other athletes uh, still have quite a bit of racing before the Games, given that it's not until February. And our northern winters kick off, uh, you know, late November. Um, even for us, we start our World Cup tour in September over in South America in the southern winter. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's definitely would be a good pick if we were looking at it right now. And, and, um, yeah, I, I just hope that everyone has a really, uh, good remainder of the year and, and, um, you know, gets over to Pyeongchang with the same momentum that they've had. And, and probably even we'll see a few others really spike up towards that. Uh, moment as well which is really exciting so yeah it's, it's all good times ahead very much very much so now i'm going to ask you a bunch of fun questions here in a sec Chumpy, to close it out but just before i do i sort of mentioned uh your music before um i'm on your website right now people can visit that alexchumpypullen.com uh we'll, we'll link that on our page and of course uh very active on social media too but listening to a bit of your music uh you're definitely setting yourself up here for a career uh post-retirement aren't you here like you're surely uh you're you're, you're a thinking man i feel because you're, you're you've got some great songs going out there i mean this is, seems more than a passion you can make a career out of this <laughs> hopefully i'd like to um yeah not really a plan as such and it's probably i mean when i was a lot younger we we um we used to be quite proactive on that front and perform a lot of gigs and play a lot of festivals and and that sort of thing before my snowboarding re- career really um got too busy now i obviously spend a lot of my year traveling and on the road and i've always got a guitar with me or or a ukulele or anything with strings um and yeah you know it's i don't know i just love music and i love playing and i love writing the old old song here and there and um we'll see i mean you know maybe some something opens up in the future and i'd definitely be keen to i I love playing music and i love listening to music and um certainly something where i guess uh snowboarding still involves a lot of that creativity for me as well um it's it's something that's constantly evolving and um probably a side of me that that it will always um you know be a part of what i do in some shape or form and maybe it won't be necessarily sitting down and drawing my snowboard designs but it might be spending a bit more time on the guitar hopefully who knows okay, i can <laughs> just picture you there performing gigs with a you know an olympic gold medal around your neck uh, you know, getting out there uh, in front of a crowd. That would be a, a unique little uh, stick that somebody... I don't there'd be many singers out there who can say that they've got an Olympic gold medal to uh, put around their neck, would there? <laughs> no, no, it could be... Uh could be a bit of an additive to the music yeah. make up for it maybe if it wasn't good enough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes look at my medal just ignore the song uh, this one's one of my best uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, that, that's a good way of looking at it. I like that. Uh, now, these I've got some questions to close out here now. Basically, yeah, these come from the Canadian Olympic website. They asked a bunch of athletes in the lead-up to Rio 2016 some fun, interesting questions, and we've taken this from uh, yeah, our Canadian co-host who asked this to the Canadian athletes. Uh, now, obviously, it starts off here by saying, hello, my name is, and we can put in there Alex chumby Pool, and of course, we know who we're talking to. Uh, but the first question here, and I won't go through all of these, I'll just go through some of them. Uh, what is your favourite ever Olympic moment? Oh, wow. Hmm. Probably Cathy Freeman um, back at Sydney. That was a pretty big one, um, watching her win. And also... Probably, um, yeah, another one for me would have been watching um, a guy that I started snowboarding with um, when I was about so 17, Damon Haler, um, doing really well in Torino at the Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, we later teamed up and sort of became the Australian team. Um, that was awesome too. Good. Obviously, that was the first time my own sport had been in the Olympics and pretty awesome to see. So, yeah. But actually, Australia's got tons. I actually really liked watching the Aussie relay swim team play guitars after beating yes. the Americans. That was pretty awesome as well. That was uh, so, that was pretty rock and roll. That was a great start. The stuff needs to happen more, in my opinion. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Like, come on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll take, take some guitars to the track over in <laughs> yeah. Pyeongchang. You need that. you need to have one at the finish line there at Pyeongchang. So when you cross for the gold, yeah. you're pumping the line, then you Plug just whip out the guitar and just start playing. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Big Marshall stack. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. They'll go viral. That would that would be one of these moments that everybody will remember from the Olympics. <laughs> Done. Uh, if you could yeah. choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Norway. Norway. I've never been to Norway, and um, yeah, if I could get the opportunity to go up to that Scandinavian area, and heard a lot about it, got a lot of really um, good friends on tour that are Norwegian and. Um, I just think it's sort of it's one of the always the biggest nations competing at the Winter Olympics. I think they pretty often end up in the top three, if not win the Winter Olympic medal tallies. But um, certainly would be a really cool place, and I'm sure, um, yeah, they'd they'd host a really good one. Yeah, it's been a while since '94. I think was the last time they've been there for the Winter Games. So uh, yeah, it's about time mm. we, we go back to. To yeah. Norway. Uh, you might have sort of already answered this one because we obviously just touched on your music, but uh, you might have something else here. Uh, what do you like to do most in your spare time? Surf. Surf. Surfing. Ah, <laughs> get rid of the snow and uh, put yeah. a different type of board on your feet. <laughs> Thaw out. Try and get some warmth. Yeah. yeah. Well, surfing is, of course, yeah. going to be an Olympic sport in 2020 there, Chumpy. So, you look, you know, you get good enough, you can be a summer and winter Olympian. Crazy. That'd be that'd be um that'd be quite bizarre. Yeah, exactly. I can handle some summer though. Yeah, well, you're, you're overdue. Ch- chasing the snow all year. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Chase that sand. Uh, what is the weirdest instruction a coach has ever given you? <sighs> Not sure if it's PG enough to mention. Oh, look, you can say um, whatever you want to on this show. It can be uh, anything up to X, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know. That's quite bizarre. Hmm. I don't. I probably. Yeah. Problem is, I, I probably don't pay much attention when <laughs> when a coach gives me a a random bit of um, information because I'll normally fire it back pretty hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't really have an answer to that one. You I might have to get back to you. you mean, I'll you, think about it. Shoot us a tweet or something along those lines when you think about it later tonight. Or <laughs> yeah. you, next time your coach says something crazy, like, hey, I remember that podcast guy asked me that that question. I'll uh, I'll shoot him a tweet. Uh, what is your favourite workout? 
Um, probably like, yeah, probably sports that are like crossover sports. So, you know, obviously I, I use surfing for um, a bit of training, you know, obviously when I'm not on snow, it's still a really fun and, and uh, you know, good board sport, which I can do on the side. And um, But on top of that, I really like sort of sprint and explosive type of training. It's something that's very relevant to my sport as well. And then one that I've been doing a fair bit with with the trainer, um, Nam Baldwin, was some breath hold training. And that's been really interesting as well, so actually under the, under the water and, um, yeah, very challenging but pretty different and really... Um, yeah, really, really fun. There you go. Never thought about that one as one. That, that's very interesting. Uh, mm. he's, and speaking of interesting... You learn all, you, yeah, you learn all kind of things about yourself when, you, when you're forced to hold your breath. <laughs> I can imagine. I can definitely Quite interesting, imagine. yeah. Uh, well, speaking <laughs> of interesting, here's a really random one for you. What is your favourite sandwich? Um, a favourite sandwich? Hmm. Ham, cheese, tomato, toasty, probably. Nice, simple. Hard to get any better than that. Exactly. Maybe some homemade re- relish or something. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty delicious right now. Yeah, you're making me hungry, I was about to say. <laughs> I don't know what I'm having for dinner. <laughs> so, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I've answered this one before and I said something pretty good. Now I can't remember it. Probably... The ability to wipe all rubbish ah, on the face of the earth. That, that, is, that one really bugs me. That is a that is a fa- I've never heard that planet, before. Maybe. There, I was about to say. I started about to earth, fire, wind, water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Just the combination of the whole lot. Is bang. That is a good one. That is a good one. I like that. Uh, so, wow, ticking all the boxes and making us think of great sandwiches and, and great TV shows as well. What are they, why have they brought Captain Planet back? Isn't that just most very convenient in this age and day? Like, shouldn't Captain Planet be a thing again? Oh, yeah, more so than ever. Yeah. I think they're making yeah, a movie. Definitely. I think they're finally getting around to making a movie on it. Oh, really? I think. I think there was a whisper for a while, but... Uh, it's been a while. There you go. You can you can try out for the role. You can sing. You can snowboard, surf, and play <laughs> yeah. Captain Planet in a movie. Why not? <laughs> yeah, definitely got to be able to sing. Being that, so. <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got a bit of a movie star name. I could see the poster: Chumpy Pullen, star of Captain Planet. Uh, that would work. Up. Um, what as as a kid? Who was your favourite sports team? I didn't really follow a lot of teams, um, but I did heavily follow tennis. I was, I was pretty into tennis when I was younger mm-hmm. and someone who I really looked up to a lot um, was Pat Rafter. Uh-huh. Yep. And um, yeah, just because just he was a great bloke, or he still is, <laughs> um, a great bloke, a great athlete and, you know, just a really great personality to watch around sport and probably a lot of things I could learn watching him play even more than just, you know, his awesome tennis playing at the time. But um, yeah, just, it was a really. I felt like he had a really good attitude and and um, loved what he did. And at, at that time, he was in his peak. And um, yeah, so as a young young kid, I watched him a lot. And then um, also really liked watching Kelly Slater too, mm-hmm. um, surfing. Obviously, just an absolute animal. And as a competitor and focused, but just really exciting to watch. So yeah, I didn't really 
follow too many teams, but I definitely had a huge interest in a lot of particular athletes like that. Good choices, good choices. Have you switched uh, any teams now? I mean, uh, you're a Victorian boy. Is there any AFL teams that you kind of follow? We're not really into AFL? Uh, yep, my mate on tour, Cam Bolton, who's also um, on the Australian border cross team. Um, he's heavily, like, he's a massive D supporter. Uh-huh. Melbourne Demon, so um, yeah, I sort of just jump on that bandwagon, and he—it's just more interesting for me because then he fills me in with all these crazy stats that I <laughs> probably wouldn't have the time to go looking up. But um, yeah, it makes it pretty interesting when we're we're watching a game. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and then um, other than that, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Actually, we've—I've trained at the Academy of Sport a lot over the past sort of six, seven years and um, training out there the past few years has been the Rugby Seven team, uh-huh, right. um, the chicks and the guys. But, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to see, you know, the, the chicks team. They obviously won a gold in, in Rio, which was awesome, and um, know a few of them just a little bit. And, yeah, it's pretty cool when you get to see a few behind-the-scenes uh you know, training sessions and that kind of thing, and then go and see them play on the, the big stage. It's it's pretty cool. So fantastic. Um, yeah, that adds interest for yeah, sure. Definitely. And and look, you know, uh, Melbourne, uh, you could have picked a lot worse teams. Uh, they're doing okay. So <laughs> <They're> just yeah. <laughs> current, well, yeah, I hear a lot about it. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I keep getting told by Cam that they're really they're about to do it. There's something big's about to happen. So I'm still waiting, but <laughs> it seems like they've started the year pretty well. And um, yeah, maybe this is the year. So I'll be happy for them and Cam. <laughs> yeah, well, in <laughs> all, all fairness to Melbourne, I think they've been waiting for about the last, uh, you know, what, 60 years since their premiership. But hey, look, it's going to happen eventually. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feels like we're building up to something big. So, yes, yeah, yes. Fingers crossed. Uh, the final I'd ask you here today, Alex Jumpy Pullen, what is your favourite sports movie? Mm. Wow, that is tricky. Sports movie. Hmm. Probably, um, I mean, I spent a lot of time watching surf movies just because I love surfing. Um, and as well as that, snowboard movies. I'd have to be... In the snowboard realm, a tie between um, That's It, That's All, which is a Travis Rice uh, snowboard movie, which is just breathtaking and awesome for so many other reasons. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go see that. Um, and then other than that would be Letting Go, by, which is a movie on Kelly Slater mm-hmm. um, back when he won his seventh world title, I think. Um, obviously since then he's won a bunch more but yeah. it was just a really I just love those in-depth behind the scenes on uh, stories on, on athletes and it's pretty cool to see so yeah probably those two would take it for me good answers I like it and definitely uh, yeah I have to go out and see the see them as well to uh, to add them to, to the list but uh, yeah. Alex Chumpy Paul and this has been a lot of fun mate it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show we're going to be obviously keeping an eye on you very closely uh, come uh, the lead up to Pyeongchang and obviously the Olympics and uh, everybody in Australia will be having those fingers, toes and everything else crossed that it will be third time lucky for you uh, at the Olympic Games, mate. But best of luck and uh, we hope to talk to you back on the show with a gold medal around your neck and a guitar in your arms uh, post uh, Korea next year. I hope so, yeah, that'll be fun. (laughs) 
definitely a fun chat there with Chumpy, and we're going to be looking forward to seeing how he goes into his third Olympics next year, third time lucky, as I mentioned, and everybody will having those fingers and toes crossed that he can finally come home with a medal in his third Olympic Games. So fingers crossed, as I just said, and we'll keep an eye out on how he goes in the Games next year. We have more athletes to come, more interviews to come. Colin's got some Canadians lined up. I've got some Australians lined up. Jared's probably got some lined up too. He just hasn't really told us, but uh, stay tuned. Facebook, like us on there. Easiest way to stay up to date. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and all other podcast platforms that you do have. Leave us some feedback while you're there. We always appreciate hearing your thoughts on the show and uh, we always appreciate your time listening to us as well. Big thanks again to Chumpy. We'll be back once again very shortly here on Off the Podium. Thanks for your time and good night. Hey,